Hi, I'm Mia Grace and you're listening to Spill the Tea. I'm going to be taking you with me whilst I interview some of the biggest names in the music industry, spilling the tea all over the place. I'll be talking to guests from lawyers to DJs to DIY musicians. We'll be talking all about the very best of the music industry, but also the very worst, along with weekly music news updates and Thirsty Music Thursday. Hello and welcome to Spill Tea with me, Mia Grace. Just a little background on myself to begin with. I'm a musician, I write and produce my own music, I sing, I play guitar and gig as much as I can. Through my time at university, which I'm just about to finish, my dissertation is due in a week. <laughs> I've been training as a creative artist, learning how to like push myself into the industry and funnily enough, actually last week I performed my biggest show yet. I performed at Cuda Music under Craig David and Lewis Capaldi. It was insane. So I thought to begin the podcast, for all the musicians listening, I'd give you a little, a few tips on like how to get gigs, how to work with promoters and that kind of thing, because it's such an important aspect of building your brand and listeners. Okay, so tip number one. Go to as many gigs as possible. This is where you're going to create contacts. Looking for the people standing at the back in the black polo and the walkie-talkie because more than likely they're the promoters who will book you. Tip number two, always have your business cards with you. There's nothing worse than an unprepared musician and trust me, there's a lot of them. If a promoter or booking agent asks for your details and you say, oh no, I forgot forgot my business card, instant no. Always remember your business cards. Tip number three, be quick at emailing. Email follow up emails, reply as quick as you can. There's just nothing worse than trying to trying to sort something out and you just can't because the other person is so slack at replying. So just be good at emailing. That is a skill. So that is the three best tips I can give you to getting yourself gigs. Bearing in mind, gigging is one of the very few things you can do nowadays to actually meet fans face to face. So don't underestimate them at all. Don't be going anywhere. Up next, I'll be chatting to Leon Hill. Okay, so it was only right that I get a super special guest in for my first episode. Leon Hill is joining me in the studio today, former lawyer at Sony and Universal, spilling the tea on some of the nitty gritty behind the scenes at the most commercial labels in the world. Not to mention him delving into how he got away with putting some of the biggest legal raves London has seen, which definitely came before his prim and proper lawyer life. Leon, how are you? I'm very well. Nice to be here, Mia. Nice to see you. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you've been up to in the industry? Yeah, sure. Um, so as you mentioned, my start in the industry was a uh, early 90s, a long time ago now, putting on, at the time, unlicensed outdoor parties, raves, acid house parties, whatever you want to call them. And uh, after a period doing that, I went back to school, went back to school and I did some A-levels, uh, I did a degree, I went to law school all crammed into as quick a time as possible. I suffer from a lack of patience. If you ask people (laughs) that worked with me or for me, they'll probably tell you that straight away. Uh, When I came out of law school, I started working at a a regular law firm, working with creatives, designers, fashion designers, uh, writers, playwrights, and also musicians. And it was from there I got picked up by Universal Music. I spent, I think, seven years um, in a global role doing digital deals for them. And at the time, 
that was licensing platforms like iTunes. There was no Spotify uh, when I joined, but there was soon after. So saw the move from an industry that had been decimated by piracy across into the birth uh, of streaming. And it's probably fair to say that we, we, we really championed that in the early days. From Universal, I went to Sony, did exactly the same role there. And from Sony, I was picked up by SoundCloud to head up the global rights acquisition um, for the launch of their legal subscription streaming service. Oversaw the launch of the, the SoundCloud subservice and then gave it all up and went to live on a farm off grid in the middle of nowhere in Spain. <laughs> awesome. Why not? Um, and what are you doing now? Uh, at the moment, I'm back in the UK. I've got a few projects on the go, one of which is a uh, podcast. Um, yeah, you know, uh, music talks. Um, and looking at a few other interesting propositions, the industry's changed a lot in the last three years. Mm -hmm. So opportunities that perhaps existed um, three years ago have really sort of butterflied into something different. So I, th I think one of the sort of key areas that you can say is undergoing huge change at the moment is artist management and the way that artists work within the industry, how they work with labels, how they work by themselves, what opportunities are available to them. I think that's a very exciting space at the moment. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. As you know, this podcast is called Spill the Tea. So it's all about spilling the tea. True for the industry, how it works, it's best and worst. People treat, I feel like people treat the music industry or like things that go on in it like a bit of a taboo subject. Um, one of the main things I've learned through my degree is gaining the confidence to speak out, take every opportunity and always push yourself. So let's say when you were working at Sony or Universal, what was everyday London life like for you? I think at the, at the time it, it's, it's important to have context because you just mentioned about sort of pushing, pushing yourself and having the, the confidence and the freedom to to really be able to sort of stretch the limits within which you're working. And, and to contextualise, when I started working at a major label, this was at a time when internet piracy, online file sharing, whatever you want to call it, was really at its height. Mm. Um, it had destroyed the business. I mean, in terms of revenues, you're talking about a sort of 90% plus drop um, in the money that was coming into labels. They didn't know how to react to what was going on. They didn't know where to look to supplement those revenues. It was just a gaping great hole. The money was dropping out of it. So I was fortunate because... Piracy didn't diminish the role that I had. The deals were drying up. Nobody wanted to license music. So in that respect, yeah, you could argue that I was sitting around twiddling my thumbs and London life at a record label was, was pretty depressing. The flip side of that is if you look at a situation like that from a different point of view, it becomes an opportunity. Okay, well, look, if, if things are this bad, they can't get any worse. So how about if I try something different over here? Or how about if we look at the assets that we've got, the artists that we work with, how can we commoditize those differently? How can we open up new revenue streams? So for me, those times were really exciting. I mean, I got to be very creative in the work that I was doing as a lawyer. I had the, the machinery of the world's biggest entertainment company behind me. And so we had the, the opportunity to go out there, in some cases be reckless in what we did, in some cases be incredibly successful in what we mm. did. But we had the freedom to try new things. And, and if it worked, well, in fact, a lot of it did work and a lot of it is stuff that is now being done across other labels, not just at, at Universal. Mm. So it was a very exciting time in that respect. Yeah, that's super cool. That's really interesting. Um, 
So what would you say was like the pinnacle highlight moment of your career? Well, depends how you how you define highlight. Depends how you quantify sort of success or, or, or whatever your you know, however people measure the these sort of defining moments. And you know, some people will tell you from your perspective. Some people will tell you, yeah, from my perspective. Uh, okay, so I've done the multi-million dollar deals. Mm-hmm. Um, I've put things in place in my time that are still there now. So if you want to categorize success by the amount of money you've made, made hundreds of millions. If you want to categorize success by number of units sold, I've got platinum discs, gold discs on my wall, sold a lot of units. But for me, what is important is what what was fun. What do I look back on and think, fuck me, how do we get away with that? <laughs> or, you know, or the impact. And and for me, I, I was in, I was working in uh, Norway for a period. At the time, Scandinavia was super fertile. We'd just seen Spotify come flying out of there um, to, to huge sort of global success. And there were a lot of other, and, and there are a lot of other sort of tech startups, artists coming out of Sweden, coming out of Norway. So I went to Norway to do some work. And in the course of that work, we put on um, an, an unannounced show by Justin Bieber in the middle of Norway, and it, it brought the place to a standstill. Um, it was, you know, they famously nearly declared a state of emergency. The, it, it was insane. It was on the front page of newspapers every day for two weeks afterwards. There was a parliamentary inquiry. I had to go and explain to the government um, why it happened, how it happened, and why they were so woefully un- unprepared. And, and again, context is important here because it wasn't, you know, what was it, about one, two years after the um, the Anders Breivik uh, slaying of 60-plus children on a small island uh, in a Norwegian fjord. And at the time the concert was going on, the the court case was, was happening. And what the the Norwegian government were, were, were really bothered about or interested in was how could uh, an event, a seemingly small event, a young teenager coming and playing music to other young teenagers, how could that bring the city to a standstill to the point at which the police had completely lost control? And they needed to establish learnings from that so that in the event anything else happened or anything similar happened again, whether that was a sporting event, a music event, or terrorist incident, they needed to be able to regain control of the city very quickly. Mm. So for me, I look back on that, and that's something that you could never do again. No. You could never get away with it again. Uh, it was huge. So uh, why, why did it cause a standstill? Because you're, you know, and again, th- th- this goes to, to the heart of sort of what makes music successful. And I'll try and keep this brief. We're all hardwired to respond to sound in a particular way. Now, whether that's the, your natural reaction to a fire alarm, um, whether that is your natural react, reaction to waves breaking, one's going to make you very tense, fight or flight. The other's going to make you very relaxed, might even send you to sleep. Now, <laughs> prepubescent young girls uh, have a lot of hormones flying around. And when you present them with a very charming young man, who sings about love and attraction and these kind of things, it sends them a little bit crazy, you know? And we see that, (laughs) whether it's with Beatlemania or Bieber mania, right? 
And when we were trying to plan this event, and it was an outdoor concert, we were looking at, actually, things like the Beatles playing on top of the BBC, um, U2 playing on the back of a truck driving around LA. We wanted to create the same kind of event-type performance. So there's a, an iconic building in Oslo, the Opera House. Uh, it slopes into, the roof slopes into the fjords, very dramatic. And we built a floating stage in front of there. We put the audience on top of the Opera House. And we were negotiating and working with the police, with the fire brigade, all the usual kind of people that you need to have conversations with ahead of a large event, a large public event like this. And to be frank, we were stunned at their their reaction. It was, <laughs> I think we can handle this young man. You know, he's he's how old? He's sixteen. <laughs> come, come. You know, and I'm like, no, seriously, you need to be blocking off this road, this road, this road. You need to set all of these traffic lights to red when he comes through, so you're not letting traffic through. And you need mm. to have barriers around here, and those barriers need to be, you know, you mustn't be able to see through them. Basic stuff for, as I said, for this kind of event, but um, they took no notice and they thought they could manage it all. And even worse, on the day there was that there was a police strike, and so they only had thirteen police officers oh, on duty in Oslo <laughs> city centre. Now, after the event, we were contacted by the uh, the Richter Institute, and Richter is the scale by which you measure the severity of an earthquake, and they could plot where he was in town because of the thousands, the footfall from the thousands of girls that were just stampeding around trying to find him. That is crazy. And so you had Twitter and Facebook and somebody would spot him somewhere and it would be two or three girls. But within 15 minutes, there were 2,000 girls there and then you couldn't get out of the building. So it was, um, yeah, it was quite phenomenal. And, and, I th and as I said, I think there were a lot of learnings for them. Uh, after that event, so um, so yeah, when sure. I when I look back, that that's something that um, I sort of, that does make me smile. You know, making money for people, selling records for people, that doesn't put a smile on my face as big as that. Yeah, well, I'm gobsmacked. That's that's insane. <laughs> what the hell? Um, okay, so if that was the very best moment, what is the, what was the very very worst? I'd probably say the same thing, yeah. because um, one of the reasons that I came out of the the sort of major label um, ecosystem was because after you've been doing it for a while, you know, you, you can look at gold discs and platinum discs and everything else, but if that face grinning down on you is somebody like Justin Bieber or mm. Lady Gaga, you sort of question, well, what the fuck have I contributed to the sort of cultural good of this planet? nothing really you know the, these aren't outstanding songwriters they're not great singers they're essentially manufactured pieces of pop puff and i don't think they add any value at all intellectually culturally only monetarily mm. and so it was really that that just sort of made me think actually you know what i'm kind of done here yeah. um I'm, I'm fed up with sort of contributing in this way i've got skills i've got learnings that i can share um, I think it would be much more interesting to sort of take myself out of this environment, spend a bit of time, you know, sitting on a mountain thinking about things, and then come back to it sort of refreshed and, and renewed. So is that when you bought an album from in Spain? Yeah, well, that kind of coincided with having a young uh, uh, boy. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it's a bit of a rock and roll cliche. Have a baby, leave the business, buy a farm, try and be a farmer, <laughs> realise you can't, and then come back to the business. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's essentially what happened. Yeah. Awesome. That's well cool. Um, okay, so as you know, through my degree, I've been studying as a creative artist, learning how to produce, 
perform, songwrite, all the rest. Um, mm-hmm. If there was one piece of advice you could give a creative artist pushing themselves into the industry, what what would that be? Well, I've got two pieces. Mm-hmm. One is probably quite obvious, and the second is probably sort of contrary to everything you think you should be doing. Um, my first is always remember you create your own PR. And what I mean by that is the way you dress, the way you talk, the things you say, that's what people hang their coat on. You know, people say your first impression is made in the first 15 seconds, it takes 15 years to change it. Mm-hmm. Well, understand that people people only know what you tell them. You know, it, any information that anyone knows about you, it starts from you in the first instance. Yes, you might have a conversation with somebody and then they'll turn around and tell everybody else. Yes, you might be interviewed by someone and then that interviewer publishes the interview. Everything starts with you. You make your own PR. You can define how people interpret you. You can define what people take away from you. You can define how people understand you. You can manipulate it. You can change it. You can be genuine. You can be false. It's all down to you. So I think in the first instance, never forget that. You make your own PR. If something's not right, the change starts with you, either externally or internally. The second, and again, this might go contrary to everything sort of or contrary to logic when you're applying it to, to, to artists or musicians that want to get heard. Um, and I learned this back when I was doing outdoor parties, and that is always protect your anonymity. If you've got a choice between keeping your name off something and having it plastered all over something, think very carefully about what the benefits are in having it plastered all over that thing, particularly with the internet. Because once it's there it's there. You can't take it down. And it goes to that first point about creating your your own PR. If you've given up that anonymity, if you've spread yourself out there, if you've exploded your name across everything and exploded your image across everything, it becomes very hard to change it. And if at any stage that image or that name is devalued, sometimes it's impossible to claw that value back. So I think those two things mesh together. And it's, it's two things that you should always have if not in the forefront of your mind, but somewhere in the back of your mind, and it should be one of those filters that you run a lot of things through and those questions that you ask yourself before engaging in what could be key decisions for your future. Well, wasn't that a bit of advice for you? (laughs) Brilliant. Um, So would would you have given that to yourself when you started your career? Um, or did you know that? Well, to be entirely honest, that was advice that was given to me. It was given to me, uh, one piece of advice was given to me by a lady that ran um, PR for high fashion, uh, high fashion companies, uh, Versace, uh, all sorts. I mean, you know, she was at the top of her game. And it was just something she sort of threw out. And it's, it, well, it must have stuck. But as time went by, I realized how valuable that advice was. Mm. The second point, that was given to me by the manager of one of the Beatles. And it was um, a piece of advice he gave me when I was doing my parties. And, you know, there was a lot of tabloid newspaper interest in these things at the time. And it was something he said to me. And again, for him, it was a throwaway comment Mm. because he knew the value of it. And it was something that was in his head every day. Um, To me, it was something I'm like, what was he talking about? But, you know, you want people to know who you are. You want, you know, you want that fame. You want to... 
you know, have people know who you are before you walk through the door. You want people to take your calls, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you do. But you also need to know the value of how far you push that. And is there ever going to be a time in the future when you're going to perhaps want to roll back on mm. some of that? So much as I'd like to take the credit for that, it's come from two different sources, both very high value and, and very dear to me uh, in my personal and professional life. Mm. That's brilliant. I'm just going to rewind slightly to when you said manager of the Beatles. Mm. Well, one <laughs> of the Beatles, manager of one of the Beatles, uh, Ringo Starr's manager. That's sick. <clears throat> okay. Um, obviously, you've worked with loads of creative artists for your time. Mm-hmm. What was the worst thing you've saw, you've seen happen to an artist in the industry? Kill themselves. Shit. Sure. Avicii, Amy Winehouse. I mean, you, you can call that kind of destructive behaviour suicidal. Do you think that was a that was a a result of pressures yeah. that were put on them in the industry? Yeah. My personal opinion is, yeah, of course. From directly from record labels or from people? Um, I think you probably got to be very careful how you answer that question, mm. especially given the amount of money that these people still make for those companies. Okay, <laughs> we'll leave it there. Um, okay, so every week I ask the guest for a tip of the week. It could be anything. It could be anything from what you had for breakfast or to have or not to have breakfast, whatever. Um, what would you say yours is? Um, okay, people rarely give you something for nothing. Okay, If they are, then it usually means they're actually taking something away. So... As much control as you can retain over what you do, you should. But be nimble enough, be flexible enough, and be dynamic enough to be able to change on a sixpence, to do, be able to do a full 180 and go the other way. And know as much as you can about your business. And when I say that, there's, you know, there's always going to be idiots. There will always be people that walk into a situation completely blind, and you know what? There'll be a hundred people there to take them by the hand and to lead them in one direction or the other direction. And as I said, if someone's giving you something for nothing, it usually means they're taking something away. So learn as much as you can about each of those elements of your business, particularly the ones that are going to have the biggest impact on you. So learn the value of a record deal. Learn what the, uh, the alternatives are to, for example, a major label deal. Can you do it yourself? Um, what services, what facilities would you need? Um, what are the benefits of owning your own masters? That's something that every artist should know. So it's really about, as I said, stay flexible, stay dynamic, but learn. Don't go into situations blind. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't open your bank account um, at, uh, at, a, at a branch that had one branch with a hand-painted sign outside with one member of staff who looked like he just spent the night in a railway arch, you wouldn't open your bank account and give them all your money. So it's about due diligence, you know. Do your research, do your homework. Are these people you're working with legitimate? Do they do what they say they're going to do? Do they have a track record? It's basic stuff. Leon, thank you so much for coming in and Pleasure. talking to me today. It's been great, um, and I'm sure will see you soon again. Best of luck. 
for all the latest music, news and catch-ups. Sign up to spill the tea. Okay, so up next is our Thirsty Music Thursday where I'll be playing you some of the best new music which I believe is not getting enough love. Make sure to check all the artists out. I'll put the credits in the description below. Eilish has spoken out powerfully about mental health, stating it doesn't make you weak to ask for help. She has joined forces with Ad Council for its Seize the Awkward initiative, which encourages people to talk about their mental health. Legendary pop stars, the Spice Girls, are due to make their comeback on Friday when they kick off their long-awaited tour at Dublin's Croke Park. Ed Sheeran has announced that his next album will be compromised solely of collaborations. The Shape of You hitmaker announced on Thursday that his new record, Number 6 Collaborations Project, will be released on 12th of July and serve up as a follow-up to his 2011 EP, Number 5 Collaborations Project. Ariana Grande and her mum, Joan, have paid tribute to the victims of the Manchester terror attack at her 2017 concert on the second anniversary of the bombing. Ariana had just finished her gig two years ago on 22nd of May when a suicide bomber detonated an explosive device at the Manchester Arena, killing 22 and injuring more than 100. With memorial events taking place on Wednesday, marking two years since the tragedy, the 25-year-old posted a picture of a bee, the city's symbol, to her Instagram stories, and her mother, Joan Grande, tweeted a longer tribute. Cardi B has postponed a series of her shows amid reports of complications relating to her recent cosmetic surgery procedures. The Bodak Yellow hitmaker was due to perform in El Paso, Texas on Tuesday night, 21st of May 2019, but the gig has been cancelled hours before showtime, according to local news station Kivaya TV. That's all for now on New Music News. That's this week's Spill the Tea podcast over with for now, but I've got a great guest lined up for you for next week. She only helped set up Radio 1 Extra. Don't forget to let me know all your new music, what you're listening to, what you're up to, on our Instagram, on our Facebook, all at Spill the Tea. If you enjoyed it, make sure to subscribe to Spill the Tea and join me, Mia Grace, next Thursday for another episode.